this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we look back at the week that was, the opening week of the NFL year, all the moves that happened, and we break it all down and look ahead with my friend and colleague, Field Yates. Field, let me say this to you. It was an incredible week, wasn't it? It was. I, I mean, maybe I'm being a prisoner at the moment, Adam, but it feels unlike any free agency period that I can recall over the past few years, and probably for a handful of reasons, but it was really a unique week. What stood out most to you about the week when you look back on it? Well, Adam, I think the fast and furious nature to Monday, yeah. because obviously free agency was ticketed to begin at 4 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, but the legal tampering period has sort of created this gray area, right? Because deals are... For most, you know, in 99% of the case, they are, they are done as they are reported as agreed to upon. Obviously, Anthony Barr was the one exception to that this past week, Adam. But because we have this legal tampering period that essentially allows teams, not themselves to announce it, but allows reporters like yourself to break the news of where players are going, it's escalated that time period. And what I think was emphasized this past week was that the legal tampering window is really the start of free agency. Oh. And the NFL, well, and the NFL combine is almost like the illegal yet still conducted tampering window. Let me say this to you. It used to be back in the day field that the combine was truly the illegal tampering period. But I think teams with the break, the one week break in between the combine, then a break, then the start of the negotiating period on Monday at noon Eastern. Honestly, I think that teams have tampered less. It used to be that when I left the combine, let's just say a decade ago, I would have 15 deals in my pocket. <laughs> okay? 15. And when back yep. when I was in NFL Network, you could ask the producers there. I would come in. They would come in. And they'd say, okay, who's going where? We'd have all the graphics and all the charts already so that when free agency opened at 4 p.m. Eastern that Wednesday, bam, we just roll out all the deals. All the deals. And I don't think it's like that anymore. I really don't think it's like that. It's a situation where... Now there is plenty of talking, negotiating, flirting, whatever you want to say in Indianapolis. Everyone kind of goes back, reassesses where they are. Players and agents reassess where they are. Teams reassess where they are. And then I think it starts over the weekend where there's some discussions. And then out of the box that Monday. And you're right. Free agency does start on Monday. It doesn't start Wednesday at 4. It's funny. I was doing a Sports Center bit, and I don't remember which anchor it was, but they said on Monday, and we'll have plenty more when free agency opens at 4 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. I said, opens, closes. It'll be closed by 4 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. The only people that free agency actually opens for on Wednesday at 4 Eastern are team Twitter accounts, right, that hide in the dark and act as if <laughs> Nick Foles wasn't bound for Jacksonville from probably the moment the Eagles decided not to use the franchise tag on him. But more realistically, during that legal negotiating window, when the four-year deal worth up to $90 million was agreed to upon, but the Jaguars and the Broncos with Joe Flacco and the Redskins with Case Keenum and so many of these other deals, especially those that involved the trade that we ignored for, in the case of the Broncos, that was like a month, right? Like yeah. Joe Flacco had probably had, had already bought a house in Denver by the time he was actually announced as a Bronco. But other than that, we all live in the play-by-play of Monday. So certainly the rapid pace to it was something that stood out, Adam. And then, and, and I think that a lot of times in our business, because there are so many people covering free agency and so many people covering 
the NFL that it's important for us to look for angles that haven't been rehashed a hundred times over. But that being said, sometimes focusing on the obvious and the things that are apparent to everybody is important. And the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. was traded was to me the notable storyline of the week, just because the magnitude of the player, what it means for the New York Giants, how it went down, and what it means, I think, for the Cleveland Browns and how they view what could be within reach as soon as this upcoming season. Okay, we're going to get to all of that because there is a lot to cover with Odell Beckham Jr., the New York Giants, the Cleveland Browns, and whether the Browns are legitimately Super Bowl contenders. We're going to come right back to that. But first, I want to go to a storyline that I don't think got near the attention it deserved that is still unfolding right now that I think has the potential to turn into one of the central storylines of the offseason, potentially as big as Odell Beckham Jr. Do you got to guess where I'm going with this field? I, You know, Adam, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, did I not come prepared? Because I don't know where you are going with this one. To me, one of the biggest storylines of this offseason, potentially, could be the events that unfolded in the last couple of weeks that very few people talked about that involved the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill. Sure, we are yep. we are talking about, I think, the most dynamic, dangerous, electric player in the game today. A guy who is basically turned that team into a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And last week, there was a report from the Kansas City Star that a battery investigation is underway involving a juvenile at the home of the Chiefs wide receiver, Tyree Kill. And it turns out that Overland Park police were called there twice in the first couple of weeks of March. They were called there March 5th uh, to investigate a report of child abuse. Then they were called back there again. And we don't know what the circumstances are involving this case. Most important, there was a three-year-old boy, the son of Tyree Kill, who broke his arm three-year-old boy, a helpless boy, who was hurt. And it's disturbing, to say the least, maybe closer to sickening, that a little boy could have his arm broken, be hurt, be wounded, and we don't know the circumstances surrounding it. But at the time of this taping, on Monday afternoon, and we'll see what police say later in the week, we are awaiting a statement from the district attorney's office out there We are awaiting to see how the Chiefs and the league will proceed in this particular case. And we will see what happens with a player, like I said, that to me has been Odell Beckham-like, Odell Beckham Jr.-like in his production and what he's done for that team. And, again, there's a reason the Chiefs were able to get him in the fifth round, and that's because of an incident that he was involved in in college where he – shoved, kicked, pushed, punched, whatever it was, the woman that he's now with who was pregnant at the time. Again, this is so layered and so disturbing and so complex on so many levels. And we have a team in the Kansas City Chiefs that when they saw the video of Kareem Hunt pushing and shoving a woman back in November, they didn't wait and ask questions. They flat out released Kareem Hunt. And so we're going to see what happens in this particular case for a great young football player 
who obviously has had significant off-the-field issues, who was in line this offseason to get a contract extension that was described to me at the Combine as starting with a two, meaning 20-plus million dollars a year on average. And wow. you start thinking about that team without Tyreek Hill, without Kareem Hunt. You wonder what's going to happen. And you wonder what's going to happen to this little boy. And you wonder what's going to happen to that organization. And you wonder what's going to happen to the NFL. And you wonder what's going to happen this offseason with everything surrounding this case that we still are waiting to get the details on that we don't know right now. Now do you know why I was saying this could be the single biggest story of the offseason, and that includes the trade of Odell Beckham Jr.? No question, Adam, and it's a great point. Uh, everything you said is well taken, and for those who may not know or those who even do, I did work with the Chiefs prior to my time at ESPN, and I will be you know, fully transparent in saying that there are several people that I worked with that still work there in Kansas City. Uh, and you know, I, I, I know Clark Hunt, the owner, uh, very well, and someone that I certainly have a great amount of admiration for and believe is a man of, of, of tremendous principle. Um, and has sort of has fulfilled the legacy that his father laid as one of the pioneers of pro football as we know it today. And you know, right now, Adam, this is developing. So we are not trying to put a conclusion on this situation before we have reached said conclusion. But knowing what we know, I think the reality for Tyreek Hill that is different than it might be some, from some other players is that there might be players that the first time their name bubbles up for the wrong reasons – might have the benefit of the doubt until mm-hmm. proven that they are fully and entirely culpable for whatever the matter is. With Tyreek Hill, he entered the NFL with, you could really argue, Adam, two strikes. Not just one strike, given the gravity of what you described between then, his girlfriend, now his fiance, and strangling her as she was pregnant, which, no matter the circumstances, it, it just the idea that she is a pregnant woman only makes it that much more deplorable. Um, but right now, I don't think a lot of people are saying to themselves, you know, something like Tyreek, uh, you know, he, he has been given the second chance, but, you know, we need to make sure that he is just a different category than I think any other player with a clean sheet behind him would be. And if you're the Chiefs, obviously the video in the Kareem Hunt situation made it not just apparent to you, but apparent to the billion, millions of people that I'm sure watched that in one way, shape, or form on social media after TMZ originally posted it. Mm-hmm. But if you're the Chiefs and you, you, you said the messages that you said about domestic violence uh, at that time and, and domestic assault and assault in general, when the Kareem Hunt situation bubbled up on, I believe, November 30th of 2018, here we are less than four months later, and you're facing what has unfortunately become familiar territory. And I know this, that the Chiefs are not going to take this matter lightly, but it's also going to be a tremendous responsibility they're going to have in handling this in a way that is there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If there is a morsel of doubt, I think the Chiefs might be in a situation where they have to act swiftly, Adam, and you know, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but... It's at least, and I don't, again, I don't want to write the conclusion yet, but I think there are already people that are wondering, and I'm not just talking about people inside the NFL, but people that watch this game on Sundays that are wondering, is it possible that Tyreek Hill could follow the same fate that Kareem Hunt did and be released? And let me say this. Again, we are speculating, and I want to be very clear at the outset of this, that we are speculating. But if anything turns up in a negative way on Tyreek Hill in this particular case, 
if the DA finds that he is in any way at fault for the broken arm or connected to the broken arm of his child, I think the Chiefs have no choice but to cut him. And who would have thought at the end of the season when we were all wondering about the type of contract that the Chiefs were going to give Tyreek Hill, how he was going to set a record at wide receiver, how he was going to be set financially for the rest of his life, how the children of his children's children would be set for the rest of their lives, that he may be literally let go if there's anything that comes out of this case that tarnishes his accomplishments, his character, whatever you want to call it. Anything against him, they they have no choice but to move on in my mind. Yeah, that, that, I, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, not that I, I don't think this is a situation that um, like th- there is no playbook for this. Right. There really isn't. Despite the fact that they went through something, at least in the same neighborhood with Kareem Hunt mm-hmm. involving a star player and a situation that involved assaults. But the Chiefs find themselves not with their hands tied behind their back here, Adam, but facing a situation like as much as, as the gravity of signing a player to a $20 million uh, potentially per year contract is for an NFL team that is building a roster and managing a salary cap and all the expectations that come with that contract. This right here is way more, uh, it's a more important, it's a more difficult situation to handle if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. And I know that we all, as, as, as observers of the NFL, want timelines for these things, right? We want to yeah. find out when, how. I think the reality is that as we sit here on March 18th, we don't know. But until it's over, Adam, you're right. This is the cloud hanging over not just the Chiefs, but really the entire NFL. Oh, it's enormous. And because it really came to light on a Friday, uh, oddly enough, on the same day that Kareem Hunt received an eight-game suspension from the NFL for violating the personal conduct policy, which essentially, when you combine it with last year, basically gives him a year-long suspension from the league, I think that... The Tyreek Hill news developments completely got overshadowed in a way where they got lost in the news cycle. And yeah. it sh- they shouldn't have. And like I said, first and foremost, you hope that this young boy is okay and that something unintentional and accidental happened. Because if there's an adult, whoever it was, that put their hands on this kid... That is sickening beyond words. And somehow, if there's video or pictures of it, oh boy. Now we're talking. It's hard, Adam. And there may never be a video. There may never be a picture. But I would just say there is this strong reaction. You know, social media has allowed us to connect with these athletes in a way that may not, you know, that is different than where we were five or seven or 10 or 15 years ago. But this is a, you know, the, the entire world has access to this Three-year-old boy. He's got his. He has a Twitter account. Obviously, not managed. I'm in an Instagram account. The three-year-old boy does himself. Obviously, the three-year-old boy does an Instagram account. Now, certainly, it's run by you know. I would I would presume his parents. Yeah. Uh, But you know, you you have you can see a little glimpse into this tiny boy's life and the idea that harm could be inflicted in such, uh, you know, just a, a disgraceful way to even think about. Um, it it just puts a uh, it, the the range of emotions um is hard to describe. So let's hope that that young boy is okay and that something accidental did happen. But police will make a determination and we will see. And then we'll see what their findings and how they impact the life and career of Tyree Kill. And we'll see what happens with him because he has a lot on the line. 
And once we get past the young boy, most important, and then we get to Tyreek Hill, then we can look from a football standpoint if we want to transition it there. It's an uncomfortable transition, but again, it is a football podcast to the Kansas City Chiefs. And this is a team that's built to win and built to dominate, really, with the quarterback that the Chiefs have in Patrick Mahomes. But now you start to look and you say, wow, no Kareem Hunt. What's going to happen with Tyree Kill? Eric Berry was sent packing. Justin Houston was sent packing. And I know they've got a lot of good young talent. They added the Honey Badger. And this team is absolutely a team that is going to be reckoned with for the next decade plus. But that's a lot of lost talent and a lot of lost leadership that we are potentially staring at. And it only gets exacerbated if, for some reason, Tyreek Hill is not there. Yeah, and Adam, I guess they never really lost this player because he was never part of their roster. But, uh, you know, Earl Thomas, who signed a four-year, $55 million contract mm-hmm. with the Baltimore Ravens, conceded at one point during his press conference that there was a team that was hot on him. And he said it was the Kansas City Chiefs a team that wanted to sign him. So the Chiefs have had their eyes on players that can help them, I don't want to say win right now, because you're right in that I think Patrick Mahomes gives you basically a 10-year window at least, right? I mean, presuming he is on the arc that we have seen him on to this point, and I guess the arc is almost indescribable, right? It's just a vertical line going straight up into a different orbit. But the Chiefs understand that the window changes when Patrick Mahomes is making... I don't even, I mean, I would think 37, 38, $40 million per year, as mm-hmm. opposed to when he is in the third year of a rookie contract that I don't know exactly much how much offhand uh, he is making, but I got to figure it's, you know, a few million dollars, which just changes the game financially in so many ways. Well, it's funny because I found this past week, and this can get us back to where we started with this podcast, everything that went on this past week, now that we've covered with the Chiefs, but you look most notably at what two teams did. One, the Cleveland Browns. And they can go trade for a player like Odell Beckham Jr. in part because Baker Mayfield is on his rookie contract. So for them to go pay Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr., what does it matter that they're putting all that money into wide receiver? They could do it because they don't have to put it into the quarterback right now. So it's a huge advantage for them to be able to do that. And similarly, in New York, with Sam Darnold, the Jets can go spend money on a running back in Le'Veon Bell and a linebacker in C.J. Mosley and give out these record deals. Why? Because they have a quarterback on a rookie contract. And so the Kansas City Chiefs are in that same situation for one more year with Patrick Mahomes until he lands a 200 plus million dollar contract and changes the salary structure in Kansas City and makes it such that they cannot go out and make some of these deals like they've been making for the Honey Badger in the future because that money is going to go to the quarterback. So for now, Cleveland, the Jets, any team with a good young rookie quarterback has that built-in window to go take advantage of that situation and really make some inroads in the rest of the league. And I think that, as much as anything else, helped drive the decisions that the Browns made last week and that the New York Jets made last week. Yeah, absolutely. And this also dies, this is a theme that I think goes back a year as well when you look closely at the roster construction moves by the Philadelphia Eagles with Carson Wentz, the Los Angeles Rams with Jared Goff, 
the Chicago Bears with Mitch Trubisky, that probably is one of the edges that these teams have right now is there is a tacit admission that, you know, although NFL windows, I just said, can be defined by one player's greatness, Patrick Mahomes can keep the Chiefs relevant for 10 years, you know, NFL GMs and coaches don't necessarily operate at all times with a 10-year window in mind. Other than the Patriots, no one has been relevant for more than like a handful of years at a time absent a couple of like really rare exceptions. Certainly the Steelers have been very good for a long time. The Packers for a while had a long run of, of consecutive seasons in the postseason. But teams are being wise right now and spending aggressively. And while I think the root of a lot of the Jets' moves is uh, the fact that they do have Sam Darnold on such a manageable number for the next uh, three, four years. And the fifth-year option is obviously a much more robust figure than the first four years of the contract, Adam. Uh, also, I think it's important to remember that circumstances drive a lot of decisions in a free agency. You know, the Jets have a GM and Mike McCagnin who had you know close to $100 million to spend this offseason. I don't think it's any mystery that the Jets needed to improve this roster dramatically by next season. And so we can, you know, on the outside, people can take someone to task about whether a running back deserves to be making $13 million per season with the ability to make $61 million over four years like Le'Veon Bell. But if you're Mike McCagden and you sat down with Adam Gase during the interview, probably in mid-January, whereas you are right now on March 18th, Adam Gase probably feels a lot more equipped to win football games come September Despite the fact he hasn't had one chance to practice with his players, he hasn't had one chance to even really talk football with his players, he hasn't had team meetings, uh, the Jets are a team that I think understood they had to get better, and we'll see if all these contracts play out uh, the way they want them to, but they certainly feel improved. We'll be back in a moment with more of my conversation with Field Yates, but first I want to tell you about Vivid Seats. If you ever tried to score a ticket to a game, you know how frustrating and complicated it can be. So don't settle for a confusing online process and certainly don't settle for waiting in lines. Shop for tickets to every game with the official ticket partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats. At Vivid Seats, you can see your seats before you buy them and they're backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. You may have to find another way to spend your time besides waiting in line, but you'll be closer to the action than ever before. Head on over to Vivid Seats, the largest independent ticket marketplace around, and spend less time in the waiting room and more time in the great seats of your choice. Don't buy just any seat. Get a Vivid Seat. And how about the other New York team, the Giants field? Because we've got a situation here where I think for the first time in a long time, the Jets arrow is pointing up. And the Giants' arrow doesn't feel like it's pointing that way. Now, I know the team feels differently, and I know the team feels like it's headed in the right direction and still can compete, thus the signing of Golden Tate. But it feels like the Jets are really an ascending team and the Giants are not. What are your thoughts on what the Giants did with Beckham and with all these other moves that they made? So I want to speak out of both sides of my mouth just a little bit, Adam, but my conclusion is still this, that the Giants right now feel a little bit rudderless. Now, I would say this. I am sure that there is more than meets the eye with the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. You simply don't trade away a player of that caliber who's 26 years old, who's got five years left on an extension that is commensurate with his play. You know, this is not like you're going to have to overpay him over the next few years or you don't have him long term. It is ideal to have a 26-year-old player in his prime for five more seasons. That being said... Um, I, so, so there has to be something more that maybe none of us will ever know 
about Odell Beckham's day-to-day operation within the Giants building that motivated them to move him. You know, you know what's fascinating? Not that they traded him. That was not a surprise. The surprise was when they traded him. March 12th. Six weeks out of the draft or so. And all of a sudden it happened. And Josina Anderson, to her credit, on NFL Live said, Oh, the Browns and Giants were discussing a deal today. Now, the Browns and Giants have spoken about other trades. The Giants have spoken to Odell Beckham Jr. about other teams. But when she said that, I never thought, Whoa, it's coming down tonight. Like, I never thought that because I know, know, there were other teams that offered the Giants more than the Browns did for Odell Beckham Jr. So if the Browns are coming wow. in with this offer that the Giants thought was good, why not? I mean, again, I, I've never made a trade like this, but why not say, hey, listen, that's a great offer. We thank you for it. Give us 24 hours. We wanted to see what else is available before we make this deal with you. What was the rush on March 12th? I, 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 I Yeah. When, when, when you put it that way, it sort of further makes me confused by what the Giants' motives were at the time and where they ended up. And maybe they turn the 17th overall pick into not Aaron Donald, who was picked, I think, 14, but a player that's a franchise changer. And maybe five years from now, Dave Gettleman laughs last. But that being said, Adam, in a lot of ways, this applies to team building. It applies to a lot of the work that we do here at ESPN. You have to be processed rather than... Uh, results driven. You have to understand the motives, the times they are made. The, there is the element of, of not guesswork, but there is the element of unpredictability that every NFL team faces. We see it in the draft. We see it in free agency, etc. I sit there though, and I look at what took place between the Giants and the Browns. And to me, a lot of the moves the Giants made this off season suggested it's time to look towards 2019 and beyond, uh, or really beyond 2019. But to follow that Odell Beckham Jr. trade up with the signing of Golden Tate, who will turn 31 on August 2nd of this year, for four years, and what amounts to, I think it's $9.375 million per year, and it's a pretty strong contract. Yeah, pretty strong contract for the player, and I love Golden Tate. I, I remember one of my favorite pl- players back in the 2010 draft when I was still in my scouting days. There's so much to like about his skill set. That being said, I think in some ways in the NFL, and I think the Dolphins are a pretty good example of this right now, Adam, it might actually behoove teams. I, I don't, you know, the, the, the magic word no one wants to say is tank, but I think you want to find a way to gather resources that can really make an impact long term. And the better way to do that is to probably sink to the bottom yeah. rather than being a team stuck in the middle. Well, by the way, that gets you back to having that rookie quarterback back to the advantage that we talked about with the Browns and the Jets and the Chiefs and back to the ability to save money, which, by the way, leads us to where the Dolphins are going because they signed Ryan Tannehill. You'll notice, Field, that that contract... You'll notice that contract came in at two years, $11 million. And that was the threshold that the Dolphins needed to be at to make sure that they didn't lose any compensatory draft picks. In 2020. Wow. So, because of that, they get Fitzpatrick done at the number they do. They preserve their compensatory draft picks, and they continue to build picks for the 2020 draft. And that's where this team is going. And tanking for Tua is a little bit alliterative and a little bit cliche, but but that is what's on their mind. They they have 
Ryan Fitzpatrick in place for the 2019 season, and they've got Tua on their minds for the 2020 season because that is the route that they want to go. And Fitzpatrick will keep them in games, but we know what Ryan Fitzpatrick is, and it's going to give the Dolphins a chance in 2020 to compete to get either Tua or Justin Herbert or whichever quarterback they believe is at the top of that draft class because the 2020 quarterback draft class is said to be one of the top ones in a long time. And think about this, Adam. As much as you know, the word tank bothers some people, mm-hmm. ultimately the, 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 the Dolphins, like their goal should be this. There's been a 19-year run in their division by the New England Patriots <laughs> that will probably never be seen again in the NFL. Or sports, but if maybe. you want to take them, Maybe in sports, you're right. If you want to take down the Patriots, if you were just to imagine a clean slate, what would be the best chance to be successful in, in not just taking down the Patriots, but building a run of sustained success? It Get would be a coach and, yeah, and, and a, a, a coach and general manager that have a vision that is led by having a quarterback. And what's your best chance of finding the next great quarterback prospect? I know that Patrick Mahomes was picked, I believe, what, 10th or 12th overall, so not quite at the top of the draft. But, you know, what's your best chance of landing an Andrew Luck-level prospect, a guy who met expectations that were so lofty when he entered the NFL? And the answer is to be at the top of the draft board. And the best way to do that is to suffer a lot of losses in between. And I hate the idea of building a culture that, that condones losing. I get all of that. But I think there are ways to simultaneously have an eye towards the future, also lay the foundation that will create wins down the line because of culture and by, because of toughness. And I think that, you know, Brian Flores, the new head coach, has a lot of that in his DNA, his football DNA. But I don't, I don't begrudge the Dolphins for the approach they're taking. Like if you were to approach, if you were to take the Dolphins and the Giants, and maybe the Giants will win more games next year and maybe more games the year after that against the Dolphins. But if I had to imagine which one could make a real threat, you know, towards the Super Bowl by 2021 season based off of the process right now, it feels like the Dolphins are the more likely bet. I think the Dolphins are square in line for the number one pick, a top three pick in the 2020 draft. I think they're going in that direction. I think that they don't mind going in that direction. And I think that they're building to go in that direction. All right, what about the direction of the Oakland-Las Vegas Raiders field? What's your take there? I was going to say, I was wondering how many other cities we have to put in front of the Oakland-Las Vegas. I guess it's only two now because I know yeah. we have this year and then hopefully in Vegas, settle in next year. Uh, I, th- I thought I read some really interesting comments from Mike Mayock uh, in Peter King's piece, uh, Football Morning in America, obviously a staple on NBC Sports each Monday morning, Adam, about how you know, Mike conceded that he was not necessarily the biggest go into free agency and spend big uh, advocate. But when he took this job, him and John Gruden sort of said, listen, rather than spending medium money on 12 players, we can spend premium money on a few players that address our biggest needs. And I think that, um, you know, the one that I feel most comfortable with, which might sound a little bit twisted given the fact that he was acting in such an atypical way this offseason – is Antonio Brown. And I know people are saying, well, you know, he's going to get there. He's got his money now. Like, he'll lose the motivation. Like, we're not talking about a guy that has ever, ever been accused of not being the hardest working guy on his team, right? I mean, this guy is yep. maniacal in his habits. And yep. say what you want about how he acted over the past few months. 
I am going to bet on the idea that Antonio Brown is ready to show up and win in Oakland. Yeah. As it pertains to some of the other money they spent, though, Adam, there's some risk involved. Trent Brown is a player that there's a reason why the 49ers were willing to make him available last year in a trade. And some of it is circumstances, but still, a player who had his most consistent stretch in football when the most eyes were on him. The playoffs, where he was an outstanding player for the Patriots. But typically... When the Patriots allow a player to go, and I understand it was at an astronomical number, um, and not that other guys, you know, guys have not left New England and had some level of success, but it's always something you are mindful of. It just always is. And so I think that um, it's a risk that fills a, a big need for now, but it is still a risk. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. You brought up Trent Brown and the big money that he got from the Oakland Raiders to leave New England. The other notable player that the New England Patriots lost in free agency was Trey Flowers, who went to the Lions on a deal that turned out to average about $18 million per year. A huge deal for Trey Flowers. What is your take on the direction of the Detroit Lions? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I've heard from really smart people who is not only you know, not only in football but also in other sports is that the investments you feel best about, Adam, are those in the players that you know best, which are the players that are, in most cases, on your own roster. Yep. For all intents and purposes, the Lions know Trey Flowers as well as anybody, right? Matt Patricia was his defensive coordinator for the first three seasons of his career. Bob Quinn has obviously been with Detroit for quite some time, but the foundation of the scouting that went into uh, Trey Flowers with New England was when Bob Quinn uh, was part of that organization. So there is an element of familiarity there. And I mentioned earlier the circumstances surrounding the Jets and spending bigs in free agency. The Lions also understand here, Adam, that they play in a division right now that includes Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. It includes a Minnesota Vikings team that was a disappointment last year, not because it, not just because it missed the playoffs, but because it was, it was not near a Super Bowl contender where many people thought it would be. And a Chicago Bears team that doesn't feel like it's going anywhere soon. So if you're Bob Quinn and you're Matt Patricia, you might have no other cho- you you know you're you have to go big in free agency and yep. do so on the players that you have familiarity with so you look at their biggest expenditures this offseason and obviously Trey Flowers is number 1 does he feel their biggest need their biggest need is to find pass rushers he certainly helps their pass rush you look elsewhere Justin Coleman a nickel cornerback 9 million dollars per year Look at the market for nickel cornerbacks and nickel wide receivers. Now, Adam, you might as well just call them starters. So I don't care if the number feels big to some people for a guy that's a quote-unquote slot cornerback. He's going to play probably 70 to 80% 
of their snaps. And then third, they're, you know, one of the other notable investments they made, Danny Amendola, a guy who comes on a one-year deal, which always mitigates risk for the team. But again, after trading away Golden Tate, it was a carousel of wide receivers that handled slot duties for Detroit. It finished with Bruce Ellington, but still, they understood they had to find more weapons for Matthew Stafford. All right, Phil, before we let you go, give me a winner and a loser from free agency, in your opinion. Team, player, anything you want that jumps to mind. Who wins? Who loses? I will say this from a process standpoint. I really liked the approach that the Buffalo Bills had in free agency. Mm. It was sort of this, this, uh, this, this, um, smorgasbord of major investments like a Mitch Morse at four years and $44 million, two wide receivers for three years a piece, and Cole Beasley and John Brown right around $27 million. Uh, but players, and then also guys like Frank Gore for one year and two million bucks. Ladrian Waddle, a swing tackle on a one-year deal. So what I thought the Bills were really smart in doing was getting players that they feel like can be foundation pieces for the next few years that will help Josh Allen right away, but also addressing some needs on one-year deals with guys that, let's say Ladrian Waddle goes in there and plays really well for the Bills. It's a one-year contract. But maybe by the end of the year, maybe halfway through the year, two-thirds of the way through the year, they say, you know something, this guy's a starter for us now, or he's a really big piece. We should find a way to keep this guy around going forward. It's a great way to kind of audition the player and for the player to audition for not just that team, but for others he could be uh, drawn to in free agency. So I like the way the Bills have approached the uh, this offseason, Adam. And then in terms of the loser, you know, it's hard for me to not look at the New York Giants that I think, you know, a team that, uh, as we've talked about at length on this podcast, feels um, like one that maybe uh, has sort of lost a direction, Adam. Um, but, you know, I think other teams that are other, another team that might come to mind for me right now is, I guess I'm sort of looking around, like, I think the Redskins have gotten better in terms of some of the talent acquisitions that they made this offseason, Adam. Yep. But it still feels like, you know, they're treading water at quarterback until Alex Smith returns. And I understand that people are going to say, what could they have done differently? What better could they have done than Case Keenum? But Landon Collins is a, is, is a terrific player making a lot of money right now. But I think the Redskins, in a division that still features two very good teams in the Eagles and Cowboys, you know, I, I don't, I think they're Better on paper, Adam. I don't know that they're decidedly better, and they spend a lot of money. All right, Phil, I'm going to give you some winners and losers of my own standpoint. I think when we look at winners, I think the Patriots are winners and losers flat out of the gate. They get back these compensatory draft picks for losing Trent Brown, yep. for losing Trey Flowers. They win there. They lose in the sense that as of Monday, they still have not added a wide receiver, and you just wonder how many years they can go do this without adding a wide receiver. I look at the Giants and to wrap up and put a bow on our conversation there. I don't, I'm okay with trading Odell Beckham Jr., but again, my question there is what was the rush? I didn't get that. Why not wait a little bit longer? And then I also would say the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm concerned about what's going to happen here with Tyreek Hill and the fallout from this case. Obviously, uh, the concern pales in comparison to a young boy being hurt. That is first and foremost. But if we're talking from a football standpoint, the winners and losers of free agency, I have some concerns for how this is all going to wind up for the Kansas City Chiefs and Tyree Kill. I can add one more loser, Adam, and it's not a team. It's actually a position because um, I thought that quarterbacks 
I don't want to say, you know, that feels weird to call them all losers, but think about how the position has been at times overvalued in free agency significantly in recent years. Last year, after a backup season in Minnesota, Sam Bradford got two years and 40 million bucks to go to Arizona. I believe 20 of it was guaranteed. Mike Glennon, the year before that, three years and 42 million to go to Chicago. Other than Nick Foles, look at the deals that were being signed by players that we thought could, on paper, become starters elsewhere. Tyrod Taylor gets two years and $11 million. You mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick, two years, $11 million. Teddy Bridgewater gets one year with, I believe, a $7.25 million base. I think there were people that were wondering, maybe Teddy Bridgewater gets three years and $50 bucks somewhere to go be a starter. It felt like the quarterback market did not develop as substantially as maybe it had or it has in the past. I was, I feel like five, ten years, and that's all true, field. But I will say this: wait till we see the contracts that come in this off season potentially for Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger. Next off season, Patrick Mahomes. I think when the quarterback is a top tier talent and a proven starting quarterback, the money is there. There's no question. Maybe Russell Wilson is showing up to Yankee spring training every year still, Adam, so that one day he can just buy the team, right? Like, curry some good favor because you're right. The number he is going to see, I presume this offseason, I think you do as well, and many around the NFL do, is going to be gargantuan and, oh, by the way, very well earned. And, by the way, they still have not started contract discussions. And the last time he signed hmm. an extension, it came on the opening day of training camp. So I would imagine between now and and the opening day of training camp, the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson have lots of negotiating to do and lots of work to get done. All right, a field. thank you very much for your time, for your insights, and for what is a cap on what was a wild week in free agency and a look ahead to some of the things that we will be facing this offseason. Thanks for the time today, Field. Thank you, as always, Adam. I hope you got a couple hours of sleep since free agency. I don't say concluded, but since the the first wave concluded. Because I know for a while there, uh, it was all Starbucks coffee, and uh, I don't know what, what your vice is, but whatever your vice is besides coffee. Uh, my vice is ESPN NBA fantasy basketball, and that also was my big stress over the weekend. But uh, fortunately, we prevailed, and... We are in the finals this week against one Eddie Marlette, whose roster is stacked and has a 48-40 to 40 games advantage on me going into the week. You would never tell the public this, Adam, but I will tell them that you are the defending champion. You are the most active and prolific <laughs> member of this league. You set the bar. You are the favorite, and I know you are, I know, I know Eddie has the games advantage, and Eddie is great, and he's, he's had quite the run in the postseason. But, uh, Adam, you have catalyzed our league, and if you can go back-to-back, I mean, when was the last time we had a back-to-back champion in the NFL? I think it's been since 2003, 2004, so that was the Patriots. Bill Belichick might be calling you up for advice if you take care of business next Sunday, Adam Sheffield. Well, just do your job. I'm just trying to do my job. No days off in, in fantasy basketball. we got seven days here to go. And like I said, Eddie Marlette enters as a huge advantage. I am the prohibitive underdog, even as the defending champ, but we are going to do everything we can to make it a competitive, challenging week for Mr. Marlette. Good luck. Thanks, Field. Appreciate it.